Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to a Monday night edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. I am still the aforementioned Chase Thomas, and it's Monday night, so you know it's Evan Swart. No, no, Evan Swartz tonight. No, it's Eric Robinson of the delightful, perfect, the falcoholic.com, the Scout Academy. Uh, all over perfect. The oh, it's a beautiful place where the Falcons <laughs> are covered. Um, shout out to a lot of the great people. The friend of the pod, Matt Chambers, Gina Thomas. Like it, it's yeah. a great place. It's a great place. Um, Eric, good evening, sir. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? Not too bad. Not too bad. It's starting to get extremely hot here in the South. I drove through your yes. neck of the woods, I believe, when I was coming back from okay. Jacksonville. Florida okay. on vacation so uh, okay yeah it was um, fun so you were you were in the Charlotte area I was driving through yeah like I I took the scenic route up South Georgia the coast through South Carolina right. through North Carolina back to Tennessee because yeah. I'm over here in Knoxville so right. uh, it looks good but it's pretty humid out there it, it is humid and <laughs> it's uh and then as a runner like being outside I'm having to pick my spots a lot more now right right, right there's something about dying heat strokes there's things that like at 30 i have to be more cognizant of so right, right you know right. it's just the fun part of getting older and living in the south but eric um we have a lot of nfl stuff that i want to talk about tonight because you are one of my favorite nfl writers to read uh right now and i wanted to pick your brain on a variety of topics and i want to start because this caught my eye it's the off season you have to kind of you're going through different things like I am a dork and have memorized season grades from certain people on PFF and I'm just going through right. tape and I'm looking at stuff and I'm like, wow, I'm really going to miss Bleedy Ray Wilson. That's not good. I need to go do other things yeah. in my life. Uh, yeah. But that's where I am. And I'm sure you've been there too with just uh, yeah. falling definitely. in love with uh, nickel corners and stuff like that. But definitely, definitely. <laughs> that's our thing. That's our thing. Um, but in this video, uh, James Jones, coworker James Jones of Blue Wire, and uh-huh. Dave, uh, I forget his name. Grr, uh, is, I don't want to mispronounce it, but he's the guy on in, on Good Morning Football and all that other stuff. But anyway, he's a good dude. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they had their most underrated teams heading into 2021. And mm-hmm. James Jones laid out the case for the Broncos. Okay. And Dave laid out the case for another team that I just, it's it's the Broncos, it's the giants it's the vikings it's the chargers and i'm like i don't i don't know and i wanted to pick your brain because i'm like having to think about it now of like who the most underrated teams heading into 2021 is and i think the broncos are starting to feel like the sexy answer here because everything makes sense outside of drew lock but you can't just not mention drew lock and i i don't i don't feel that same way so for you when you think about it right now with injuries aside who makes the most sense for you out of those teams in particular, or just all 32? Well, let's start with the Giants and the Broncos. Who do you okay. think fits more? Because I think you the know Giants. What? I'm going to lean towards the Broncos because I was one of the few believers in Drew Locke coming out of Missouri. Um, and I know he's had a rough time so far, very inconsistent um, as far as production-wise goes with his time in Denver. But I believe in him. And last year... I'm going to put a little asterisk next to it because, you know, he lost Cortland Sutton. Uh, they couldn't really get the consistency in the running game going. Offensive line was not the greatest of uh, position groups for the Broncos last year. So I'm not going to hold that over his head entirely. Um, but I'm going to, I'm going to go with Denver here. I really like what they did this off season. Um, especially in the draft, getting a guy like Javante Williams, um, getting Cortland Sutton back healthy to go along with Jerry Judy, going out and getting Fuller from Chicago um, and and uh, getting uh, uh, drafting Patrick Sertan as well. I really like what Vic Fangio is doing there in Denver. And I think this is a sneaky team that can steal a wild card spot. If it's all on the shoulders of Drew Young or, or Drew, uh, Drew Locke, though, it's all on him. He has to play to his potential in order for this team to un- unlock their true potential. So I'm going to go with Denver here. So lay out the case. When you watched him at Mizzou, what was he doing at Mizzou that made you think, okay, this can translate perfectly, or maybe not even just perfectly, like this skill will translate at the NFL level. What specifically trait-wise worked for you? 
it was, of course, the arm, the mm-hmm. arm talent um, that he had that he displayed at Missouri. And of course, during his time there, he had more of the free reigns there mm-hmm. um, while, you know, quarterback in that team. He doesn't really have that now in Denver. He has to kind of bog it, bog it down a little bit and has to lean on that run game. He didn't necessarily have to lean on that element at Missouri because they were beating teams in the air. Now it's more of an offense that's kind of sort of predicated off that run game a little bit um, mm-hmm. with Melvin Gordon and now Javante Williams in the mix. So I think Locke has to understand that he doesn't have to win the game on one pass. He doesn't have to go for 80 yards on every play. Sometimes you need to take that check down. Is there. Sometimes you need to take uh, that shorter route. Is there. Um, and, and I think he's still kind of learning that. Um, and I'm hoping he picks that up this year because, again, if he does, I think they can definitely find themselves in the playoffs. So you have no reservations about Teddy Bridgewater beating him out for that job this summer? No. Interesting. So are you or, not a Teddy guy? Teddy. What Was it something he did in Carolina last year? Do you think the upside's not there? Is it because he's more of a check down guy, because he's more safe? Like Because of that, yeah. I mean, he's... He, I mean, I believe in the talent of Drew Locke, and I think he can really he can really elevate the offense if he's able to play to his potential. Even though he doesn't need to throw it forty times a game or thirty times a game, I think he has that arm talent to be able to contend with other teams. But Teddy Bridgewater, what you see is what you get, um, and you saw that in Carolina last year. Um, I think he played fairly well, given mm-hmm. the circumstances that he didn't have Christian McCaffrey. He had a rookie head coach, a rookie offensive coordinator, uh, also had inconsistencies on the offensive line. I think he played fairly well, given that circumstance. Um, he can be a game manager. I, if I'm the Broncos, given what's around Drew Locke, I would want Drew Locke to win the job because, I mean, they really have a good mixture of young talent and veteran talent. Not to mention, they're also, you know, getting Von Miller back. Um, hopefully he is the Von Miller uh, of, of past years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we can we can see that tandem with him and Bradley Chubb. But I like what they have going on there. But I, I think Drew Locke is, you know, brings out the potential of the team. I just wonder because the timelines don't match up where I'm like – if I'm Vic Fangio, am I sure that I can just risk right. one more year at Drew Locke? Or, cannot. and like, if he's wrong on Drew Locke, if Pat Shermer's wrong on Drew Locke, guess who does not have a connection to Drew Locke or any of this coaching staff? It's their new GM. It's the George, new guy, George, George Patton. Patton. Yeah. Like, there's mm-hmm. nothing, he doesn't have to keep anybody. He's not tied. He's not emotionally right. invested in any of these guys. So I just right. wonder how that's going to influence their decision making. Like, it's not even, it might not even be fair to Drew, them just being like, we have to go with Teddy to keep jobs. I don't. Well, I I see your point. I and because of that, I think Drew definitely has a shorter lease mm-hmm. this this off season and going into the season. It may be a situation where Drew wins it by default because mm-hmm. they kind of sort of want him to win. I mean, he's the younger guy, um, and and they're they're still kind of sort of building for the future there. But I think if you see Drew have a tough first game or two, I wouldn't be surprised if Teddy is like literally anointed the starter at that point. Yeah. I'm not talking about him coming in and and filling in and and winning a game and giving the starting spot back to Drew Locke. No, Teddy may actually be the guy from that point out. It's kind of sort of like in, in Chicago when Nick Foles came in and Nick Foles was pretty much, all right, we're going to give you the job. Like yeah. Trubisky couldn't take that next step. It's yours now. I think that same thing could happen with Bridgewater and Denver. I don't want to talk about Nick Foles. That that Bears Falcons game still haunts me. That that whole game. I remember. I don't know where it, like how you feel about that game, but there are multiple games last year. I'll never forget like falling over at the bar for uh, the Cowboys Falcons game. Like that will just. I mean. I, <laughs> All right. So I'm putting it to you this way. So in, in case the listeners don't know, uh-huh. yes, I am. I'm a Falcons writer. But I'm also a Falcons fan. Now. The you know, when you're a fan of a team, you have somewhat of an emotional tie to the team. I've heard about this, yeah. That emotional tie died (laughs) in Dallas, okay? When I watched the kick go through the uprights, it was from that point on, it was like, okay, I'm no longer emotionally invested in this team. Mm. I write about them, I cheer for them if they're doing well, but outside of that, this team has drained every single emotion out of me because that was the Super Bowl is one thing 
the Dallas game. It, it was how, how you you had ever you had a, a a two score lead early in the fourth. You had an onside kick where you had literally Hayden Hurst and Julio on the field and Ooh. Zacchaeus on the field. Yeah. And no one touched the ball. No. What is going on, guys? Like it's the just, explanation after was even was even worse. Like I, it, I'll never forget those. It was. Years. It was so. It bad. was because it was as if okay, so who's really giving the instructions here? Because yep. you had the head coach pointing at the special teams coach, and the special teams coach pointing at the head coach, and mm-hmm. then someone's pointing at the players, and it's like okay, who makes the decision here, guys? Because there's a lot of indecisiveness right here. And it, it cost them – it was such an embarrassing – that was easily, minus the Super Bowl, the most embarrassing loss I've seen for the Falcons under the Dan Quinn era. But see, I easily. told my buddies – like I was watching the Bears-Falcons uh, game with some Titans friends, and I told them, I was like, they're going to pull Trubisky. And this is going to be – it was the Georgia-Alabama thing where I'm like, oh, no, they're all prepped for Trubisky. Like the game's over if they keep him in. But Foles in the second half, this is it. Like they're going to do this. And it just it it just happened. It's it just the plight of being a being a Falcons Good fan. Lord. Good lord! And then of course the Detroit game. The Detroit game, <laughs> but Detroit also gave us one of our favorite moments, like the the runoff the runoff clock situation. Because one of my best friends is a Lions fan. That was an all time great situation. <sighs> Which. I- that was incredible. Yeah, love. It was. I loved watching it with them too. It was, and it makes those last two matchups between those two teams like easily the most weird, game, <laughs> weird game you've ever seen in your life. Because yeah. again, the the Lions game was I've never, I have never <laughs> seen it. As long as I've been watching football, I've never seen an opposing team cheer when someone crossed the goal line. Yeah, I've also never seen a running back being told before he breaks the huddle, "Don't score." And what does he do? He scores. Like, didn't Gurley come out and like unprompted answer and say that like, yeah, they told me and I still did it. Like he did. Yeah, incredible. I, and, then, I, <laughs> and then NFL Films gave us the audio. Yeah. Do not score. Okay. All right. And he scored. Mm. Well, and happier news: the New York Jets. No. Um, <laughs> it's interesting, man. So it's one of my things about the nfl that i don't know if like people who are outside observers or not covering it that closely like see -hmm. how quickly things just change on dime we're like denzel mims was somebody Mm -hmm. i was super high on coming out of baylor i liked his Mm -hmm. fit i thought this was like the kind of receiver that would do well and i thought he was gonna be an undervalued receiver based on just he's not an lsu guy he's not a bama guy but i was like no this dude can stretch the field he's big he's long Mm -hmm. he should be good Mm -hmm. um now it looks like he is the odd man out through no fault of his own. He was hurt a lot of last year, but what he showed in the scheme that he was drafted to play for looked like it would work, but those mm-hmm. coaches are gone. And mm-hmm. with the Shanahan offense, this is not what they want. So Keenan Cole and Corey Davis, old friend from Tennessee, figure to start on the outside. They're bringing back Jamison Crowder on a pay cut, and mm-hmm. um, they just drafted Elijah Moore, a Swiss Army mm-hmm. knife from Ole Miss, to be in the slot. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. like, oh, sorry, Denzel Mims, you are our best receiver, and we needed you so badly last year. Now we're not sure if we have a role for you in this offense. Like, when you think about the scheme and the situation there, are they overthinking the Denzel Mims fit? Like, would yes. you? Okay. <laughs> yes, they are definitely overthinking it. I think Mims can be a playmaker in this scheme. Um, and, you know, again, this is a classic case of a team a new regime probably not really given into the circumstances that were surrounding the team last year, because again, last year, you know, you had, you had Gase and then Darnold's inconsistencies. They had no run game whatsoever. And literally, you know, they had to depend on Jamison Crowder and, and uh, Braxton Berrios for a good portion of, of the season last year. I, I think Mims can be a playmaker in this scheme. You do bring up a good point, though. The signs, if you just read the signs at offseason, it's not looking good for Mims right now. It really isn't. Um, but I do believe he can blossom because of the size, because of the his ability to play the X and the Z receiver spot, in my opinion. Um and I and I think it there, you know, everyone's coming in with a new slate now. 
how how much are you tying into the aspect that he's likely going to have? Well, there's no likely. He is going to have a rookie passer mm-hmm. throwing him the ball this year. You know, I mean, and again, you you brought up the, the Shanahan scheme. This is the scheme that does test defenses vertically yep. and laterally, but it also has a good mixture of the run game in it. And you can kind of sort of say it's the run element that builds the pass. So where is like where where's that spot for Mims? Like is he going into this year thinking he has to have a wide receiver one type season in order in order to even have a future here or what? Yeah. You, you, what feel, you feel like, that? Right? Like that's what it seems like. Ooh. I I I can guarantee you now he's he's probably gonna be third, maybe fourth in targets. Yeah, I think Crowder and like Zach Wilson's gonna find his safety nets. Like he is going to go low. I think yeah, Elijah's probably a safety net right now. To be quite yeah. honest with you, just because he's building that rapport with him early. Mm-hmm. But he, I can see, I can see that where you know Elijah is probably first or second in the team and, and targets. Um, yeah, he's he's going to have to have a big year, but I think he can. That's the thing. It's just crazy how quickly this just changes on a dime. It, like, we, remember the situation last year for Darnold where we were just like, it's literally Jamison Crowder and just guy off the street here. Like, yeah. the amount of talent they had in the wide receiver room last year was a joke. No yeah. one was going to succeed in that system with yeah. that amount of talent. And now they have too much where they're like, oh, we don't even need Denzel Mims anymore. Right. How did that happen right. like that? I don't understand. I, I, I don't I don't understand either. Not to mention, you know, they they literally had nothing at running back either. And yeah. it's just now they're at a point where, like you said, they have an overabundance of receiver receiving talent right now. And they got a passer in Zach Wilson that, you know, the, the guy we, we mentioned earlier about arm talent. The, the guy can sling it. Oh, you don't he sell really? me. I, I run in my <laughs> Zach Wilson, Michael Jordan, uh, Ninja. Ninja, yeah. uh, I don't even know what to call it. It's my, <laughs> what do I call this? It's like a Ninja Turtle. Uh, little yeah. band. I, I don't know what to call it, but it's, it's, <laughs> it's delightful. And I love tying it every, like Zach Wilson, as someone who watched every BYU game last fall, big Zach Wilson mm-hmm. guy. Right. The guy, the guy can sling it and he can put it on a dime, man. And I think this, this is a, a vital year for the Jets organization. I'm not saying they're not going to, they're not going to make the playoffs. Okay. They're probably not even going to sniff the playoffs this year. But I think this is going to be a, a very competitive team. It's mm-hmm. going to be one of those. I think it's going to be a very competitive division. Like the AFC East, I think, is actually going to be very tough. Is it your toughest division? Um, I think it depends on what I believe in with the Raiders. Because I think the AFC West is going to be like the Chargers, if they're healthy. Like I like what I saw from Herbert last year with the okay. I think the Chiefs, Chargers, the Broncos with their defensive talent, like they are just, they already had one of the best defenses of football. And now I think they're going to be even better this year. I think that getting healthy on offense will be huge for them. And then you have the Raiders who Derek Carr is just, when he has a good offensive line, he's fine. And they have like when Jonathan Jacobs and all those guys or Josh Jacobs and their talent, like I love, I love Darren Waller. Like there's a, there's a case for them. I would probably say though, I would say the AFC North. Just because I think the Browns have the potential to be the best team in the AFC this year. I still think the Steelers okay. have too high of a ceiling. Like the Steelers could finish last in the AFC North and go seven and nine. I think that's a possibility. I think that division's gonna really beat who, themselves up. Who just predicted the Steelers to come in last place? Someone some national analyst just picked the Steelers to come in last place this year. I mean I if Vince like he was last year or a little bit worse, like it's very much in the cards. Okay, well, I mean, uh, they drafted Najee Harris in the first round to. They did, which is going to help. Is it going to help? I don't know. He's not a guy. He's not a Le'Veon Bell. I think people are just like, oh, running back name from Alabama. I'm like, they are not throwing it out in space to him. Like, he is not a. I don't. Did he even have like a a run of 35 yards or more at Bama? I think that was the stat with him. Is he's just not not an explosive Uh, guy. He's not well. He to me, he's going to be a better option going forward than James Conner, of course. And yeah. I, I think his, I think his presence is going to help Ben. But Strong there's season, docket vibes from him, in my opinion. Oh, oh wow! Oh wow! Okay. Um, 
I, I, I've lost so many there, Steelers fans. Their, their season, their season is really going to lean on whether their offensive line is good or not. Well, if they're good last year, it was, and it 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 definitely doesn't need to fall apart with a stationary quarterback like Ben Roethlisberger yeah. right now. Like, and that's what he changed his need. game, right? Like he became yeah. one of the fastest out of his hands. Like he was like, oh, the offensive yeah. lines, I have to get the ball out quick, quick. You quick. have to, right? But uh, go. Going back to my question, I, I I think the NFC West is going to be a bloodbath. Like I can yeah. I can see three of those teams making the playoffs, and I can see that fourth team probably winning like nine or ten games and just missing out. That that is the best division of football, in my opinion. The NFC West. I think it depends on the Niners' health, and that's just getting weirder and weirder by the day. With the it Shanahan is. just OTA stuff getting fined and the just the rash of injuries they have every year, mm-hmm. um, so that's a question. And I also okay. just think if they're going to go with Jimmy Garoppolo for as long as possible, I don't think we're going to see Trey Lance anytime soon. If you do no. that, I I wonder about the Wilson stuff. Like, there's still some weird. Like that defense was awful. The Seahawks defense was awful last mm-hmm. year, and it's just I think it's going to be worse this year when you look at that secondary, especially. Um, and then you know the Rams. They're very top heavy. They haven't drafted in the first round in what seven years. Like, does they, that eventually come they, back? Uh, yeah, I mean, they don't have a first rounder for another what two or three seasons. Yeah. Probably like, they, they don't. Yeah, that has to come back and bite them at some point. I know that's their strategy right now that they're leaning on, and it looks good inside their facility, but outside, it's almost like okay, what are you guys building for? Because. Yeah. It, it, you're going to get to a point where you're going to have to get younger and better, and you can't because you have no draft picks. You trade everything. Um, if you get a ring, it, it doesn't matter. But there, I don't know. Like I just, the NFC is, I think, more of a bloodbath anyway. Like the NFC is yeah. just so much more difficult to get out of than the AFC. I think the AFC, the hierarchy, it's like I would almost be surprised, like be shocked if the AFC is not represented by one of three teams: the Chiefs the Browns and the Ravens. Like if it's not one of those three, I'd be pretty shocked. And I guess you could maybe even throw in the bills there and that's about it. But you can make the case for like 10 I'm, NFC. I'm glad you said the Titans. No, the Titans defense is not good enough. The, the Titans. Not, Someone made the comparison. The Titans are the Cowboys of the AFC. And I think that's true. I think it's an apt comparison where the defense is just a problem, but they have all this skill position talent. You have Julio, you have AJ Brown, you have Derrick Henry, and then you have a quarterback who's not elite. But don't let the don't let Titans fans hear that. I mean, Ryan Tannehill is not elite, but he's he's really he's good. Ryan Tannehill is now a we have enough track record to say he's good. Mm -hmm. He's good in their scheme. Mm -hmm. Dak Prescott is a good quarterback. Mm -hmm. Neither of these quarterbacks are top five, top eight quarterbacks. So Mm -hmm. there are just limitations there. The defense is going to be a problem. The Cowboys defense was historically bad last year. The Titans mm-hmm. defense was historically bad last year. Mm-hmm. I think those are both going to be true again this year because they did not really address that situation at mm-hmm. all. So I just think they're fool's gold. I would not uh, right. not buy in. Right. I agree. I agree. I think the Titans are going to be in a lot, a lot of shootouts this year, more than they expected. Yeah. And um, yeah, Julio made his decision, which is fine. Um, that's a, to me is still a lateral move, but that's a different conversation for a different day. That's I can't, fine. I can't do any more Julio. Just it bums me out. It it, it just does. bums me out. I know. I know. Um, yeah. But I, I have told my Titans fans, friends, because I I'm surrounded by them in Knoxville, and I'm just like, I hope you're not like I want you to do a snap count counter. That's what I want you to do week in week out. I want you to count the amount of snaps he's on the field, and then I'm going to compare it to D Hop and Devonte Adams, like. I didn't realize Hopkins only missed like 10 snaps, offensive snaps last year. Holy shit. Really? Like Hopkins is on the field every play. Like that dude just never comes out. Julio snap count and you're like, oh my God. Like when he's on the field, great. But like I, the 32 year old receiver, when the snap counts start falling, I don't know. I will, we'll see. We'll see. I hope we'll, nothing we'll but the best. See. I'll always love you, Julio. Yeah, um, Absolutely. What did you make of the the complicated fella comment from Mark Murphy, the the Packers CEO? <laughs> made things worse. It's pouring gas on the fire. It's already horrible in Green Bay right now. That comment doesn't make it any better whatsoever. Um, I think fans need to understand um, 
like this, this is really like behind, you're not going to see it on the surface behind the scenes. This is a very ugly situation right now. And it, it really places a jeopardy over the Packers season because there's a legit possibility that Rogers may never put on a Packers uniform again. I mean, you're talking about a guy that like he's at odds with just about everybody in the front office including the head coach who is the the play caller as well. Mm-hmm. Like this is this is not a situation like Julio Julio didn't really have any issues with anybody. He was just he lost for three straight seasons and he wants to win. I get it. But this Rodgers situation, like you can't sit here and tell me Rodgers wants to win. Well, haven't they been to like the past two NFC title games? They're there already yeah. as a team. It's not a situation where he's looking for money. He's one of the highest paid players in the game. He's got plenty of weapons around him. So what's the issue here? There's so much friction between him and the guys in charge. And it doesn't look like it can be mended anytime soon. All they had Um, to do is what the Saints did. That's all they had to do. Just do whatever you had to do for Drew Brees. The very end, you're like, it could go at any point, but we're... We're pseudo contending. Yeah, we have our flaws, but we're going to keep investing. We're going to keep adding talent, and we're going to give you the best shot in your twilight years. That this is what the Steelers are doing for Big Ben. They're not taking a quarterback. Right. They're not doing it. They just keep adding guys. They keep adding right. the Toledo receivers. They'll draft Najee Harris. They keep adding right. guys because they're like, hey, right. thanks for being the best quarterback in our franchise's history. Let's let's ride this out. Like that's what the Falcons. Right looked like they were going to do and i think if julio didn't request a trade or if there weren't as many financial issues from the dimitrov era he probably rides it out too and i think i just, fa- just wanted one year of that offense yeah just one year. and i mean that's just an entire podcast about like how this right. all happened but um <laughs> yeah i just i think it's one of those things where the packers only have themselves to blame they overthought it yeah, they they yeah, they did. They overthought things and I understand that Rodgers came out publicly and said he's not to blame Jordan. He, you know, he has no, no issues with Jordan Love and he shouldn't. You know, Jordan Love didn't ask to be drafted by the right. Packers. Um but they they made that decision on themselves and it was a dicey situation. Um but I think the organization looked at it as well you know, we've been down this road before. We mm-hmm. drafted a guy late in the first round, and he sat. He Roger sat for three years, three years until he finally became the full time starter. Um, and I guess they looked at it and said, "Hey, we might be able to do it again. Let's let's see if we can." But this whole situation, when your when your head coach and your GM are taking off season trips to go visit your quarterback. To talk, that's not a good sign at all. That's not a good sign. It should be, if they need to talk, hey, call me, whatever. No, they're flying out to wherever he is to have a sit-down face-to-face with him. It's not a good situation. This this whole complicated fellow thing, it doesn't help at all. Why make that public? Whatever. It's a what? boomer situation where I don't know why boomers are still falling into the strap. Like the Seattle Mariners president who said the quiet thing out loud. I don't know if you keep up with baseball at all, but when he came yeah. out and was just like, yeah, we were manipulating service time. Like right. he was just, you're always getting recorded or just assume yeah. you're getting recorded. Don't yeah. like you should go into any situation, no matter how friendly it right. seems. Someone's got their phone out. And right. I just and I remember know. the news came out about the, the, the text messages yeah. From from uh, Gunkus? Yes. Uh, uh, that doesn't help either. Like, there's nothing private with this situation. There's no, it's, it's, Everything is coming out. It's, it's not looking great, man. I, I wouldn't. Does he have a no trade clause? Uh, I don't know. I have to. I'd have to look into that. I'm not sure. I know Wilson did. I don't think many do. I thought it was only like one or two. A couple of quarterbacks have one. I wanted to say it was really small, the number of... I would assume he would have one. I mean, he is Aaron Rodgers for an organization like the Packers. But I mean... But we just don't see quarterbacks get moved like that. Trade clauses aren't really... You don't need them for these because they're like, if we're good, then our team's never going to want to move us anyway and we just want to stay there forever. And this is my biggest concern with the NFL as a whole is Mm -hmm. the... Part of the reason people love the NFL and the NFL is king is twofold Mm -hmm. for me. One is Mm -hmm. they have their 
free farm league in college where people get attached to Kyler Murray. They get attached to all these guys. They watch them on Saturdays and it just is a natural progression to Sundays. The NBA doesn't have that. Major League Baseball doesn't have that. The NFL just, you get familiar with these people. So the entire draft is just like the same thing. The NFL draft, right. like you do it. You're a scout. Like right. you look at it and you're just like, this is a whole thing. No other industry is like that. But the other thing is quarterbacks. When you are a fan of your team, you are assuming if this quarterback is good, you're going to have them for 15 to 20 years. Right. Like that is an amazing thing to be like, we get Matt Ryan for 10, 12 years and we get to enjoy it and not worry about it. And we get, get attached and it's going to be fun. But right. if you have these quarterbacks at 28, 29, 30 being mm-hmm. like, mm, you're not doing enough. I'm going to start bouncing around. Mm-hmm. That destroys a lot of what makes the NFL fan watch. Is they're just like, I love the fact that I just know that Marino was a dolphin, that Manning was a cult forever, that Brady was a pet. Like that is part of the appeal. And part of what's hurting college sports right now is you can't get attached to college basketball. Cause you're like the, like you don't know who's on your team every year anymore. Like right. people are just gone. So you have nobody right. to sink your teeth into anymore and get emotionally invested in. And I don't know. That is something that, the NFL has to be very wary of is Wilson playing for four teams in like seven years, potentially like, no, that's not good for anybody outside of maybe Russell Wilson. Right. It's, it's the, but it's the NFL. They're yeah. always going to pull in their audience. They're always going to be King. Nothing's going to knock them off the perch. If the concussion the whole concussion issue hasn't, you know, really set them back as, as a conglomerate, then I don't think anything else will at this point. It's always going to be king. Yeah. No matter what. Probably, probably. Uh, speaking <laughs> of fallen kings, Jacoby yep. Myers is looking at the number one wideout in New England. Like, I'm a Jacoby Myers guy. He was really sneaky good for the Pats, and I enjoyed watching him last fall. But right. if he's coming out, your number one wide receiver, and Nikhil Harry is fighting for a roster spot, Eric, are things not as not as good as we might be thinking about New England's offseason spending spree when you look at uh, what Cam's going to have. And I, I just, what what do you make of that situation if Cam's going to have a better shot of succeeding in year two in New England? <sighs> to be quite honest with you, I mean, Cam, if you look at his numbers and over his career, Cam has never really had that game-changing wide receiver one outside of Steve Smith, of course, early on in his career. He tried to make something out of Kelvin Benjamin, but, of course, that didn't really work. Um, I don't see it as a big deal because not not even taking Cam out of the equation, New England hasn't, you know, you take away what happened, you know, what Randy Moss did during his time there, New England really didn't, you know, they've never really had those type of wide receiver ones. I think it was more of whoever can step up to the plate and make plays. That's who we're going to trot out there. And Jacoby Myers is probably the guy. Now, I will say this. I am I am shocked that Nikhil Harry has not progressed or developed as a receiver. I, I thought he was the it guy coming out of Arizona State, but apparently not. Um, and I think this offense – is going to probably probably lean a lot more on the tight ends anyway because of John because of you know they went out and got Johnny Smith, Hunter Henry as well. Not to mention you look at Cam's track record, he has great success with tight ends. Um, so I think it's going to be that type of situation again anyway. Um, I don't really think it's a big deal that Myers is the head guy at the in the receiving room right now. Um, so yeah, so I, I think they're just going to modify the offense a little bit and kind of, kind of focus around that run game and those tight ends a little bit just for Cam Newton's, Cam Newton's benefit. Yeah. Kind of, kind of like Atlanta, Hayden Hurst and Kyle Pitts folks. <sighs> Could have Julio, man. Could have one year, man. That's all. I just wanted one year. Whatever happened next off season was whatever, but. I just just give me one year, really, Julio and Pitts. I just want to see that. Like, that it's the, you got to move on to the Darby Hive. Join me in the Darby Hive. I love Frank Darby. <laughs> I love Frank Darby. And I think fans are going to love Frank Darby also because of his energy. Mm. Don't, don't even worry about what he does on the field. The energy that he brings. I was I at know. the Senior Bowl. 
I was at the Senior Bowl, and mm-hmm. this guy, he's always smiling. Mm-hmm. He's always cracking jokes. He's always making teammates laugh. And he's he's like pretty. He's close to being like the perfect teammate. He's that guy that if you're you're feeling you're mentally out of the game, Frank's probably going to say something or do something that's going to get you kind of perked up a little bit. Like, okay, let's do this. I love Frank Darby. I really do. I, I think he's going to fit well in that offense. Well, this brings us to our last uh, Falcons related topic, and also just how we're going to wrap up tonight, Eric. Um, okay. Where will the Falcons benefit their benefit most from their 2021 draft class? When you look at where everything fell for Terry Fawn on this group, I feel like Kyle Pitts is the easy answer, but he's not what I would pick. I don't think Uh, I would lean more towards Richie Grant. What about you? Can I just say like skill positions as a whole? Mm, Okay. Because yes, the Pitts thing is, is of course you're bringing in a freak. Um, And again, I think Frank Darby, is going to play a lot better than your normal six rounder. Yeah. Um, I, I think he's, he's really going to carve a role for himself starting year one, but I like what they did. Of course, with Richie Grant, I was a huge Richie Grant fan. Um, but I also like what they did by getting Darren Hall as well. Yeah. Um, and adding more with, uh, was it, uh, Avery Williams, mm. uh, corner out of Boise state as well. I think they, because of those picks, they got a lot more athletic and especially in the secondary dealing with this Dean P's defense is going to be predicated off pressure and turnovers. And I think you got two guys in Grant and Hall that showed a pension for getting their hands on the ball. Um, and, and, and this is only going to help the secondary going forward. So I'll say that I'll say skill positions as a whole really took a step forward for Atlanta. Now, I will say this. I think the team probably wants the trenches to take more of a step forward. Mm. And we'll see if that happens. Mayfield has potential, but I don't know if I would have taken a swing at him, especially in the third round. I think I would have went for a more natural left guard, not a guy that has to make a transition from right tackle to left guard. Um, Do you think he's going to start day one? I'll be honest with you. Uh-huh. I kind of hope he does. Okay. You're just Nothing. like, let's roll Matt Hennessy, Matt Hennessy and Mayfield right there next to each other. Let's see what happens. Let's, let's see. Nothing against Josh Andrews, mm-hmm. but he's not a starter. I don't want him starting day one against Fletcher Cox mm-hmm. and, Javon, and Javon Hargrove. I don't want to see that. Um, and I know he's a rookie. And he's transitioning. He's going to have to get his feet wet a little bit and, and get and knock some kinks out of the armor. But I, I think Jalen will eventually win the job before mm. week one. Um, I just like to have bodies at corner two and safety. Like it was anemic last year, and like what we were going into the offseason. Like they addressed it. And I think Terry Fauna did some some worthy. I, I think they were worthy. Just throws at the dartboard like i think grant hall and williams Mm -hmm. are that like i understood all of those i think that Mm -hmm. those were that was that was a good way to approach it because i think aj terrell actually was solid even though i will not forgive him for losing the chiefs game falling and bouncing the ball like i still don't know how that didn't come down i don't understand why it popped back up and what what anything Jeez, come on, man. Why do you have to bring that back up? I'm thinking about the corners, and when I was thinking about the corners, I'm like, what stood up the most to me last year? It's like, oh, right, when A.J. Terrell was playing awesome, and then he just let the ball bounce off. I love A.J., right? I love A.J. I think A.J. is going to be an elite corner when it's all said and done Mm -hmm. because of his size, his length, and his athleticism. That is, and I don't want to crack his skull, but Mm. that is the type of play that separates you from the very good cornerback group mm-hmm. and the Jalen Ramsey, yeah. Stephon Gilmore, like the elite cornerback group. Those are the type of plays you need to make. And I, I get it. He's a rookie. That's some understand. Desmond Trufant stuff right there. That it was. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's like, bro, like you have to pull that in mm. like that in order for you to take that next step. And, but I will say, I will say this, 
and I said this a couple times last season, getting a win like that might have helped Raheem Morris mm. come back. Um, because Morris and uh, Arthur Blank has a they have a really, really good relationship. And behind closed doors, it was whispers that he had a better relationship with Raheem than he did with Dan Quinn. But that's mm. that's a different story. Um but those are the type of wins that you would need if you're an interim head coach to try to convince that you can get a head coaching job. But yeah, that that game, that play, my God. Like, come on, AJ. You gotta get that, man. That was there. It was on a platter, dude. It mm. was on a platter. If you didn't have Dirk Cutter as his OC, Raheem Morris in another universe might be the, the Falcons head coach right now. <sighs> Dirk Cutter doesn't belong in the NFL. No, Dirk Cutter, I can't I can't do it anymore. I, I can't I, I, I can't. He's he's got a off season ranch home in what Idaho or Montana like or two. Start in Boise, I think he went. He was the Boise coach yeah. like thirty years yeah. ago. Yeah. yeah, just 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 stay there, dude. <laughs> he hey, good career. He had a good run. He had a he had a good run. <laughs> Did he? Dude, that guy got so many jobs. I I mean he hey he got the bag. Shout and out to I him. Well, okay, yeah, I give him that. <laughs> I just don't know. I just don't get the infatuation with him. Like, it's, oh no, no, no! What I'm saying is, just he was it, the longevity. He gets a yeah. he gets the Frank Gore medal. Right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I just, I just don't get it. And then for the Falcons, after you're playing Dirk Cutter, what four seasons while he mm-hmm. was a head coach in Tampa Bay, you see what his offenses look like. You saw how you were able to play against his offenses, and you bring them to your I I don't get it. What are we doing here? Like this is he doesn't belong in NFL. I'm sorry. I don't I don't get the offensive wizardry. I don't I don't understand. Eric Robinson. Yeah. Does this Falcons team make it over five hundred as we wrap up? Closing statements. They make it over five hundred. Nine and make eight. It over Nine and eight. God, that sounds I'm, awful. I, feel, I, feel I hate this so much. I hate the seventeen. I hate all of it. Like all the records sound <laughs> it, awful. It, 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 we got to get used to it because I'm sitting here. I'm thinking to myself, like, man, I'm still. I still have that sixteen game mindset. But then I got to understand, like, if a team wins thirteen games, then they're going to lose four instead of three. Like that's just that's just how it plays itself out. But yes, I think they go nine and eight with Julio in the equation. I think they could have taking a wild card spot. I think mm. they could have won 10 or 11 games and got a wild card spot, honestly. But no Julio. They'll be flirting. They'll be, okay, they'll be one of those teams that when it's week 16 and 17, they need a win and some help to get into the playoffs. They're going to be that type of team. I'm just so concerned with Calvin Ridley's health. Like, I'm just going to be, I'm turning on Calvin Ridley health alerts. This Is he wide receiver one of you? Yeah, I think so. Based on what? That dude, talent yes. or production or what? I think he is a sleeping giant. I think that dude yeah. is such a downfield. He's just a yak machine. I think there is so much yak potential with him. Where I'm concerned about the size and the potential of being an injury too. prone guy, but in I terms of production and when he's on the field, I think he is a nightmare for opposing yeah. players. I I you, love the. I, I just think he is a versatile. Versatile receiver that can do stuff that a lot of the other big time receivers cannot do. And I think you you can get over the size aspect for certain receivers, Tyreek Hill, for example. But the difference is Tyreek Hill has the speed that no, no one can match for the most part. Ridley just finds space. Like he is a space finder. And that's one of my favorite things about him is you're like, how did he get open? You have to like rewind and you'll have to look on film. Like, why is he that wide open right there? He's he a really he smart receiver. He has some of the best footwork in the league. Yes. Like, there's no question. If, if we're talking, you know, straight line speed, I mean, he can, he has to build up to it. But when it comes to his route running, the guy can create separation easily because of that. Um, but I'm with you on that as far as the size and the injury thing. I I don't think he'll be elite seven years from now, but I think what the Falcons need at the moment, and I think just the attention that the what's going to help too is just Pitts just being such a mismatch that Calvin's not going to be thrown into a role where it's like, okay, you don't have Julio, you don't have this other person 
out there with you when you're going three wide that is going to command a lot of attention. Like we like Russell Gage, like Russell Gage mm-hmm. is solid, but Calvin Ridley is just still just never dealt with that. But you have somebody like Cal, uh, Kyle Pitts and Hayden Hurst also split out. And I think there'll be times when they, cause I'm a big Jalen Hawkins guy. I think he's actually going to probably be yes. for them. So when they yes. split him out, then it's just like, okay, I think Arthur Smith's creative enough where Calvin Ridley will still find his spots and you'll still see footwork situations where he's open and you're like, how did Calvin Ridley get that open and why is he streaking across the midfield for a 40-yard gain? I I, right. I think he is just that good in those ways that he'll be fine yeah. for a little bit. Yeah, he's going to scheme him open. But, yeah. uh, I, you know, he looked great last year without Julio in the lineup. And I get it. Everybody looked at his numbers last year and, it, it yeah, it looked like wide receiver one numbers. But now – you're making a transition from just playing well when Julio's not there to now you are the primary focus in the passing game for teams. But he's not so, alone. Can I tell you the comp here? Do you, can I tell you what it reminds me of? This entire situation reminds me of. What? Stefan Diggs left Adam Thielen. They drafted Justin Jefferson. He had one of the best rookie years of any receiver ever. Kyle mm-hmm. Pitts has the potential to have the best rookie season of any tight end ever you give ridley this safety net this rookie to not make it just like hey sorry you lost wide receiver one good luck you better be wide receiver one Thielen, still a production monster he was kind of forgotten about doesn't feel like a wide receiver one but that dude got open that dude scored that dude racked up yards that dude kept him afloat too like i think there's a lot of Thielen vibes with calvin ridley okay i can give you that I can give you that. And, and it is a situation now where, yeah, th- there's a rookie coming in that you have a certain level of expectations, but you wouldn't be surprised if he, if Pitts exceeds those expectations, yeah. um, which could possibly happen in this scheme. Um, I, like I said, I'm more concerned about him being that primary target for opposing defenses. Like, yeah, he, he looked great without Julio. But now every week he's going to get the main focus from Jalen Ramsey. He's going yeah. to get the main focus from Tredavious White. He's going to get the main focus from Denzel Ward. Like it's. I think this is why it's important to have three. Like this is why the Chiefs have Tyreek, Travis Kelsey, and insert name here. Like it's important to like if you look at the way this league has changed, it's just like they're targeting machines. Like the if you yeah. look at Drew Brees' targets of the last couple of years, if you look at what Derek Carr does, if you look at Aaron Rodgers, they have their targets. And mm-hmm. they don't stray off them. They are okay targeting their tight end 17 times a game if you mm-hmm. cannot stop them 11. Like, it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a good proposition to do. So, mm-hmm. I think if Ridley's one of your three, you're in good shape. But if Ridley is your only guy you're going to target 18 times, then it's a problem. Mm-hmm. But I think Pitts is going to get targeted 11, 12 times a game. I think Hayden Hurst is going to get targeted 8 or 9 times a game. I think Ridley yeah. will probably get targeted 17 to 18 so if that's the case, if he is able to just kind of be in these three wide receiver sets with um, in the 11 personnel, then I think he'll be fine. I just think it's going to be a problem if injuries rack up and it's like when you're talking about the coverage with Tredavious White and Jalen Ramsey, and it's just mm-hmm. Ridley out there because Pitts, Pitts missed time or something like that, then mm-hmm. we're going to be like, oh, right, he's not a traditional one like a Devontae Adams or a D-Hop where it's like it doesn't yeah. matter who's around him. Yeah, I think, and I think – fans are looking casual fans at least are looking at the numbers and saying oh he's a wide receiver one but there's a lot that comes with that title you know you have to be very distinctive as a receiver and nothing against calvin ridley he's a great receiver he's a great pass catcher but like you mentioned there's a reason why Devonte adams is wide receiver one because Devonte adams is productive but he also has the size to be able to you know win on his mm-hmm. own against certain quarterbacks Calvin doesn't. Yeah. That's the thing. Um, and unless he had that Tyreek Hill Olympic speed, then that's a different conversation. But he doesn't. No. So when he's jammed up against Jalen Ramsey, then what? Well, you hope Kyle Pitts is the best overall you, player in the draft. You better hope. Because yeah. if, if Julio was jammed up against, against Jalen Ramsey, you would still – have confidence that Julio is going to beat that because mm-hmm. again, Julio is just a super freak, but I don't, I don't get that. This is Calvin why I was so intrigued by Jamar chase is I think he's the closest thing we've had to Julio in a long time. And you know, you, know, you, you, you know, what would have been interesting about that though. I, 
that would have definitely given what we know now mm-hmm. that would have definitely screamed okay they really are trying to move Julio yes yeah and maybe maybe they wanted to kind of sort of avoid that because you know the ongoing trade talks and things of that nature but I, I actually thought about that the other night like what if the Falcons would have said all right you know what we know now Julio's not going to be here let's get Jamar Chase mm-hmm. and pair him with Ridley and see how that is going forward. That that automatically would have just set off alarms like, okay, they really are trying to get rid of Julio because you don't draft Jamar Chase to be a wide receiver three. So I get it. But the, the whole Pitts thing, the, the and then they want to make, you know, don't give Pitts a, a, a position. Just, yeah, he's a weapon. Just put him on the field. It's, he's not a tight end. This across all sports, we really don't need this. We don't need the labels. He's just <laughs> no. per. Yeah, we don't need to do this. Like it's nope. not a thing. So when you hear people like, "Oh, he's gonna be a tight end," it's like, "Well, no, he's not. He's he's no. not tight end." If you watch any Florida no. game, that dude was doing wheel routes more than right. any other receiver. <laughs> right, it's, and it, he, it's just not who he is. And he's not a na- he's not a natural receiver, in my opinion. No. Um, so again, just he's a weapon. That's exactly what he is. He's an offensive weapon. He can line up just about everywhere. Yeah. Yep. Eric, what yes, uh, can we check out from you across the internet this week? Uh this week, uh, you're probably only going to get nothing but hot takes here and there. Okay. Um, I'm working on um, a column for highlighting key in-game matchups uh, for the Falcons during the season. I'm working on a week two column right now that highlights the, the intriguing um matchups that they have against Tampa Bay in week two. Um, But I also have the week one column already out. So go ahead and give that a look whenever you get a chance. But yeah, so this week I'm just, it's the dead zone, man. It's the (laughs) the dead part of the offseason. And it's kind of hard to come up with stories and stuff like that. Even with with Julio going. There's always film though, Eric. There's always film. Absolutely. There is always film. Absolutely. All right, man. Well, that, I took way too much of your time tonight. I remember I, I was like, I, we won't go too long. It, it's going to be all right. And then we, I, it's the Falcons, man. It, it, right. The Falcons do it to us. <laughs> I love, I love this. I mean, I know I'm a Falcons guy, but I know I'm a Falcons writer, but I don't mind talking about all 32 teams. It's, it's, I'm a, I'm a football guy at the end of the day. So it doesn't even matter. Let's, let's just throw something out there and, and talk about it. I'm good with it. Awesome. Well, it's been great talking to you this evening, Eric. Thank you so much for making the time. Let's uh, do this again soon. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.